The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Views Room, a weekly podcast brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views in Connecticut at the moment. I'm joined by Richard Beals in New York. Hi, Richard. Hi, How are you? Hi. And Lauren Silva Laughlin in Dallas. How's Dallas, Texas, Lauren? Getting hot, but good. Well, speaking of getting hot, we're going to talk about the equities market. Uh, you wrote a piece <laughs> this past week, which was uh, which was very popular about how ECM bankers, that is, equity capital markets bankers, are going to have their their day in the sun. How under this is going to be the year of the underwriter, because in part the uh, the need to re-equitize, to bring new money and new capital into companies all around the world, uh, in part because of COVID nineteen. Well, a large part of it, I guess, by because of the, the, the pandemic, but also because um, you've got all sorts of new ideas coming out from, from around the world. Let's let's go through it. I mean, your basic idea is that this is a great time. If you're going to be an investment banker, you want to be like a, yes, you want to be an equities <laughs> person. Absolutely. I mean, so you, so you have the companies who need to re-equitize, like you say. That's one part of the equation. But the sort of more shocking part of the equation are the investors that seem to be just covering this stuff up. And we're seeing it all over the world, U.S., Europe, Asia, everywhere, where deals that even in a good market, probably wouldn't get done, and they're getting done in this market. Um, and so for the guys who work on the equities desks, they're making tons of money, I mean, multiples more than they have in previous quarters. Um, and that's from all sorts of deals, uh, IPOs, follow-ons, convertible deals, basically anything you can get done in the equity market, people are trying to do it. And and of course, the equity, the mark, the price of the equity market, I don't know what you call it, the, 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 the buoyancy, despite the economic decline, is a bit of a conundrum. Isn't that true, Richard? I mean, you wrote a piece. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I took a look when the market was near its, you know, near its coronavirus low and trying to figure out, you know, then maybe it looked a little overdone. But if you lose, which are because of economic shutdowns, a lot of companies are losing a big chunk of a year's revenue, right? I mean, not of profit, but of revenue, which is serious business. And yet now here we are. Um, Sure, the economies around the world are opening up, but the S&P 500, the US, big U.S. Uh, stock market index, is pretty much up to where pretty it was flat. at the start yeah. of the year. At the <laughs> start like, of this year, amazing. It's extraordinary. I mean, what what is interesting is how the balance has shifted within that, with a massive sort of shift towards valuation of technology companies. I mean, Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon between them are more than 15% of that index, and if you do the numbers with 500 companies, those three companies are less than 1% of the number of companies in there. So it That's just shows- That's a market cap weighted, is that, is that how yeah, that works? So, right. Well, no, I mean, each no. company, obviously, and then on a market cap basis, they're more than 15% of the whole index, which is, which is extraordinary if you think about it. And it's maybe especially Apple, because we all see, we're all using Microsoft every day, we're using it right now. Um, people are ordering stuff from Amazon every day in lockdown. Apple, sure, sells, stuff that you yeah, might why be is using, it going up? but, that but, is but why Apple? Because, <laughs> I mean, I was just looking. I, I have an Apple uh, product that needs fixing, as probably many people do who have been out in the, during the <laughs> lockdown. And I was looking in, you know, the Genius Bar, the store near near me in Connecticut, um, everywhere. They're all still closed. So I don't know. I mean, of course, there's e-commerce, but why are people going gaga for Apple? 
Well, I, I, I concluded somewhat facetiously in the piece I wrote about this that maybe people are just investing in the things they see every day while they're in lockdown. Maybe once they, <laughs> maybe, maybe once they, get, once they get out a bit more, they'll you know, be more interested again in energy companies and banks and industrials, which are the ones that have kind of given up the value in, in favor of the tech companies. So basically, sofa and couch maker should be soaring on that basis. Well, that's the- true. <laughs> 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 you know, makers of home but, appliances. But there is, there is a rental car, bizarrely, there is a rental car company that seems to be able to raise equity, perhaps, and nobody's driving rental cars. So, Well, uh, let's go to that. I wanted to get to that because you mentioned it in your piece as a sort of an example of crazy equity capital market stuff going on. And this is Hertz, which is, you know, the number one, you know, by car or fleet rental company in the United States, if not the world, and they have declared bankruptcy. So, and, and generally, if I remember my corporate finance or bankruptcy law 101, when you declare bankruptcy, the first group of uh, that is that is that gets killed would be the equity common shareholder. Which, in this case, um, somehow. They're, they're talking about raising what almost a billion dollars of new equity. I don't. Well, and they they even admit in their own filing that this thing is worthless. And and you know the SEC might have something to say about that as well. But I I think it's really fascinating because if you, if you're Hertz and frankly if you're any company at this point, you want to issue equity, right? So so and and if you're the guys in the bankruptcy proceedings, if you're a creditor, fine, let them let them issue equity because it just means that the people who would give the dip financing, which is the financing that typically goes at the top of the capital structure before everybody else in bankruptcy, um, that won't happen. So if you're kind of the lower guy on the debt totem pole, you're actually going to get paid before these equity holders. The question is like, who is that equity holder? Who is that guy that's sitting there in the market saying, sure, I'm going to give money right now over to this bankrupt company that may not have any value a year from now? You just assume it, it's a guy, huh? Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> there are no female day traders out there. I think you've got to look at all these things. I mean, obviously, in a lot of bankruptcies, something becomes equity and it's not totally worthless afterwards it's the sort of stage of the process that hertz is doing this that seems wacky right but but also what do you mean well i mean if you're doing it issuing equity before you're coming out of bankruptcy if you do it as you come out or you know some creditors convert their debt to equity then then they do that because equity then yeah well they they kind of Mm -hmm. you're you're Mm -hmm. saying that's right or this thing has gone through the rinse cycle right exactly um but I, i you know, I think you also have to put some of this down to the all the rescues around the world that have come out for the coronavirus. And, you know, investors, whether debt or equity investors, have been very happy to throw money at all kinds of companies in all kinds of pretty dire situations, partly because the Federal Reserve and others have backstopped a lot of their borrowing in various different ways and to the tune of trillions of dollars, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's all hotted up of late, especially around Hertz and, and companies like that, because there are there are also signs now as the economy reopens that there might be quite a healthy rebound. Right, right. But well, I mean, that's what, a good point. I mean, sorry. 
Well, no, I'm just I'm just trying to still figure out. Yes, that's true. That the and and Lauren, you put this in your ECM piece, which is that there's you know central banks have just been pumping liquidity in, governments have been pumping liquidity in, and that's been great for all these Wall Street underwriters. But you know, it doesn't quite explain a Hertz kind of phenomenon because that is not. Yeah, I don't think these are. Inst- I'd be really amazed to learn that these are institutional investors that are following, you know, that are that are considering putting money into into this company's equity before it goes through the bankruptcy, which gets to this other idea, this exuberance of uh, the day trader phenomenon, which I, I, some people have written about. I mean, you, you, I've, I'm a kind of a weird fan of of the barstool sports guy, El Presidente. Dave Portnoy has become this sort of Davy Day trader guy out there because. Because nobody can play sports, no one's watching sports, no one's betting on sports. So I guess the market is the perfect proxy for it. And, and it seems sort of to me that there is a, there has become this whole maybe out of boredom or whatever, this whole you know legion of people willing to play with these penny anti stocks. No. I mean, I, I sort of feel like the herd mentality and demand in the markets is a really funny thing, whereby, you know, it may, what may have been kicked off as a result of the Fed and $15 trillion of capital around the world flooding into markets and people looking for risk in these deep corners of the market kind of creates a momentum where then, like you say, you have all these guys who and guys and gals who like to speculate on the market piling in. Um and so I don't know, it might just sort of be a snowball kind of factor going on. I think there's always there's always some of that. I, I also um, tend to think it's, you know, the, the, the professional investors at a time like this, you know, the investment bankers, the institutional managers, that they, they don't want to say we're being bullish. You know, the Fed's pumped too much money in, they're pushing up asset prices, all the rest of it. So they kind of point to the day traders when actually it may be them too. Um, so I, I think there may be more sort of closet bullishness than 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 we know about, and it may or may not be misplaced. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, bull, bullishness is the natural resting sort of you know position of of the of the investment banking class, right? Of I mean, course, in a sense. absolutely. So, you know, yeah. things going up is always better. But you know, as we saw with the first quarter uh, results for all of the investment banks. Volatility is also pretty good for them for their trading that kind of thing. What? But, but what, let's look at some of the. We talked about Hertz, but there's also some kind of interesting stuff coming out. So you had Warner Music had a pretty successful IPO, stocks up above the uh, the offer price. Vroom, I guess, is what it's a used car. What do they do? Yeah, it's an online used car. Right. Um, so I mean, it's kind of a uh, both both sort of a, a play on e-commerce and 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 in a sense on coronavirus because. You know, you, you don't have to go talk to a dealer. You don't have to shake hands with a dealer. You just buy your used car online and, and get it. You can even collect it. I'm not sure if this is Vroom. I think this is maybe Carvana, but you can even collect it from one of those car vending machines somewhere. Right. <laughs> so, so it's basically like human. You don't never have to deal with a used car salesman. Sounds exactly. Who's got a problem with that? <laughs> and Warner Music, of course, is all about streaming and streaming. You know, we've seen a pretty clearly seen an acceleration of digitalization. I suppose, you know, that this whole thing has to some degree helped Warner Music because it's all about streaming. What about the other guys? Who else do we have out there? NetEase? NetEase. Well, there, and there's Pete's, the the coffee company. Um, and then there's a couple of others with these 
funny sounding names like Lemonade and Snowflake, um, which are two companies that have absolutely nothing to do with Lemonade or Cold Weather. But um, and both of those kind of have these very, very sort of techie type uh, feel good aspects that we saw before the market collapsed. Um, and so whereby I think for every one deal that makes sense, like a Warner Music, there's probably another that doesn't. Right. And then I guess Royal Pharma was, uh, we, our colleague Rob Searn wrote about this week, has filed or priced rather a big IPO, something like a $16, $17 billion valuation for the company. And that seems to be, again, it doesn't really have anything to do with coronavirus, but it also seems to have, you know, it's not economically sensitive in the sense that it's, it sells or it basically makes money from the royalties of blockbuster drugs. So I guess it all makes sense. I guess what you wouldn't want to be coming out with is, I don't know, retail businesses and things like that. That'll be the bankruptcy. That's the sort of story that, Lauren, you'll have to write next week, which is about how bankruptcy lawyers are going to be the <laughs> other ones in the sun alongside the the uh, e-equity capital markets bankers. Yeah, I think yeah. when JCPenney issues stock next week, it's time for us all to pack our bags and go do something else. I will have no idea when, like, that is possible, but I don't know what to say when that happens, that's for sure. I, I do think it's remarkable how quickly these windows can close and open again, though. I mean, that's really been a lesson in that. Yeah. Right, don't you think, Lauren? I mean, it's it's absolutely. Like, oh yeah, it closed yeah. up and it closed up obviously very quickly as coronavirus took hold and all the shutdowns, and then suddenly it's like everybody's queuing up to get their IPOs away. It's quite remarkable. Right. I well, think yeah, get, yeah, yeah. Get it while you can, because you know we, the second wave's coming, or so <laughs> or so they say. Um, well, thank you guys. Appreciate the the chat, and we're going to now turn it over to our colleagues in Asia, who are going to talk a little bit about. Vietnam having a pretty good quarantine. Thanks, Rob. So in a sea of global contraction, recession and pain, Vietnam is looking in rather fine form. The Southeast Asian economy is set to be one of the few that will expand at all this year. In fact, Prime Minister Nguyen Shan Phuc is aiming for a massive 5% growth. I'm Yuna Galani, Associate Editor in Mumbai, and I'm here with my colleague Robin Mack in Hong Kong. Robin, I'm just marvelling at this port in the storm. It's almost as if the pandemic didn't happen there. Or did it? Hi, you know, yeah, no, Vietnam is um, it's emerging as one of the feel-good stories of the pandemic. I mean, they've had, you know, something like 330 cases so far and quite remarkably zero deaths. Now, this is, keep in mind, this is a frontier economy that has a 1,400 kilometer border with China. So what they've pulled off is quite impressive, but it did come with a cost. So the country uh, moved very quickly and aggressive at the very start of the pandemic. So just within days of them reporting their first local case, they already restricted a lot of air travel and their borders. And the country went into a very strict lockdown for most of April. So you mentioned the 5% GDP growth target. That looks quite ambitious, um, given that you know a lot of the economy depends on tourism and the country has just emerged from the lockdown. So the World Bank is forecasting you know, GDP will grow maybe closer to 3%, so around 2.8% this year. That's down from, you know, the 7% growth that we've seen Vietnam in the past few years. But it's still quite impressive because, like you said, you know, it's looking to be one of the fastest growing economies, you know, this year. 
that's just really incredible. I mean, you know, just to put that into perspective, I think, you know, the OECD is expecting New Zealand's economy to shrink 9% this year. And that's been now the country that is like the role model of having managed the virus very well. So, I mean, I guess I have two questions really. It's like, are these pandemic numbers seen as credible? Not the growth numbers, but the actual virus control numbers. And, you know, and, and how are they going to manage this huge growth number? Don't they depend well, a lot on tourism? Yeah. So, I mean, it does seem quite credible because if you look at sort of the latest data points, so for example, Google Mobility, uh, you can see that a lot of the residential and business activity, is, they're all back to pre-virus levels. So you can tell that the company is sort of back in business as well. In terms of how they will achieve growth this year, I mean, the country is already, you know, a very popular manufacturing hub for companies like Samsung. And a lot of the growth is going to come from sort of this manufacturing investment. Um, so even if trade is shrinking, Vietnam's share of global exports is actually rising. And that's a lot to do with sort of some of the supply chain trends we've seen. And that's only been accelerated recently uh, when you have companies looking to sort of reduce its reliance on Chinese factories. Vietnam is a top destination uh, for a lot of these manufacturers. So who's there already? I mean, give us some, give us some names. Who, who's, who's big there? Well, Samsung has been one of the early investors, and at a point, they were probably the largest foreign investor in Vietnam. Um, but now we can see companies like uh, Intel as well. They, they've been setting up some manufacturing plants there, and a lot of Japanese car makers, even Nintendo and Sony are there. And that's only set, I mean, that list will only grow because recently Vietnam just ratified a pretty significant free trade deal with the EU. So you can expect to see a lot of European manufacturers uh, looking to Vietnam as a result of this as well. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of interesting, especially sitting from here in Mumbai, it sort of feels like Vietnam is in a better position, or at least a, a better starting position than countries, say, like India, where the virus is out of control and public health infrastructure is collapsing in the major cities. You know, it seems like Vietnam is in a much better position to seize that opportunity. But it sounds like it's already actually doing pretty well in, in terms of being a manufacturing hub. I think that's going to sort of be a big plus for them. And I mean, you know, it sounds like they've got a lot of common with, with other places, like, like pretty young population. Is that right? Yeah, so the demographics are working very much in Vietnam's favor. And you do have, you know, it's like a pretty well-educated population. It's young. Uh, you've had a lot of government policies, you know, over the past few years that have really liberalized um, sort of the FDI, you know, and tried to be a lot more open to, to foreign investors. Um, and like you said, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, Vietnam has showed the world that they can handle this health crisis and that will only benefit them in the long run when it comes to attracting even more foreign investment and manufacturers into the country. Yeah, I think that's right. I think a lot of business people, and, you know, I am assuming that foreign direct investment is predicated on some level of business travel. Uh, you know, I think a lot of business people are not going to be wanting to fly through countries that have really badly handled the pandemic. So if you think you can go to a country like Vietnam where things are pretty under control, that's going to be a lot more appealing. But, but also if you're if you're thinking long-term investments, right, you want to invest in a country with, you know, adequate infrastructure. And I think Vietnam is really sort of punching above its weight in terms of their health infrastructure and, and what they've done so far. 
Yeah, I think that's uh, super, super interesting. But I can't let you go without asking you about tourism because, you know, when most of us outside of, you know, the immediate vicinity think about Vietnam, we think about tourism, you know, a country that has like incredible foods like pho, the noodle soups and the banh mi's. And, and like, I, I sort of always thought that, you know, this is a country that depends a lot, on, a lot on tourism. I did a great motorbike trip through the country a few years back, incredible place. But how are they going to manage without that sort of revenue source? Yeah, so tourism is a huge part of GDP. I mean, I think the direct contribution is, you know, somewhere like six, seven, eight percent Um, So it is a sizable part. I mean, so there you will see that the economy, I mean, the economy is not going to fly through this unscathed. So tourism will be the one big weak point that Vietnam doesn't really have that much control over. But the country itself, I mean, it's starting to look into opening up international travel, but that will really depend on what happens outside and whether or not, you know, the world can get a handle on, on the pandemic. Yeah, well, as you said, Robin, 2.8% 2.8% growth this year, even if it's uh, sort of short of the official target, it's really something to marvel at. So um, let's stare with awe. Thanks so much, Robin. Thanks. That's our show for this week. Thanks to my guests, Richard and Lauren, and our Uber producer, Freddie Joyner, Yuna Galani in Mumbai, Robin Mack and Jamie Lowe in Hong Kong. And our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com, and don't forget to tune in next week for another edition. Be good and stay healthy.